Hello, John from the Lib Dem Podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Prater Reigns. Now more than ever, you need a professional-looking online presence and website. Prater Reigns have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their Lib Dem Foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Prater Reigns are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Prater Reigns website at praterains.co.uk slash liberal-democrats. Now, on with the podcast. It's an incredible privilege to represent your hometown where I was born, born and brought up, went to school and so on. Um, and I, as you know, there's not a day I don't walk in across the, the Lambeth Bridge and towards the, the palace and think, Jamie Stone, you are a lucky lad. Hello and welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. My name is John Potter and joining me uh, from Liverpool is Richard Kemp. But our guest today, our very, very special guest, is sometimes a pantomime dame, always an excellent MP, and also has a legion of social media followers called the Stoners. We would welcome Jamie Stone, MP, to the podcast. Welcome, Jamie. Hello. I'm very happy to join you. Nice to see you all. And um, you're in Westminster at the moment. Um, can you just tell us a little bit what's it like at Westminster? You're obviously, Parliament's kicked back in after the recess. How, how's life for you at the moment? It's, it's completely different. I mean, it really is. Uh, even queuing up to get my breakfast today, the, the social distancing is enforced rigorously. You are, <clears throat> you know, you have to sanitise and so on. Um, and it's slightly more muted, shall we put it that way. But as we know from the press, uh, the sparse chamber does not suit Boris one little bit. And um, it, it really has changed the whole dynamic of the place. It's quite, quite interesting. Um, that sort of, you know, Hogwarts on Thames feel has gone. And mm. I think maybe that will lead us to weigh up how important is that to British democracy or could we do things differently? We're, we're on a learning curve here. Now, I remember when, when, when MPs came back, you were in the press quite a lot because um, you're a carer. Um, as well and do you think now all that kind of progression has changed in Parliament do you think they'll ever go back to using virtual means or do you think that's it's that's just done with now it was a necessity and they won't ever change well yeah I mean I got really mixed up in this issue because I am my wife Flora's carer and during the height of the pandemic we didn't have any help people could come in because there were you know the, the, the services was overstretched so it was inconceivable for me to go or come down here to Westminster because who's going to go after my wife? Because there's certain things that she can't do, like tie up her shoes or whatever. Um, and so it was all right to begin with when it was virtual. and I could contribute, make a speech, ask a question. And I did that. And then Jacob Rees-Mogg said, actually, if you want to vote, you're going to have to physically be here. And that was when it let the blue touch base with me. And I said, you must be joking. I, you know, are you seriously going to deprive me of my right to vote? Are you going to deprive my constituents of the right to have me vote whatever would be best for them? And I was very grateful to the media, which actually came in behind me. And some surprising journalists, you know, of a, of a, of a non-sympathetic Lib Dem said, actually, he's got a point. 
And so in the end, Jacob Rees-Mogg's leader of the house had to climb down and say, actually, um, you know, we will allow people who are in Jamie's position to continue to vote. And I did thank him for that. I went on the record in a, in a Zoom, you know, contribution to Westminster. Um, but what I really hope, the point about this is that during Maastricht, we saw people being taken out of hospital beds and taken to the commons to vote. That was disgusting. And I hope now that in a small way, we, what I said did has changed that for the years to come. So never again will this have to happen in the future. And if, if an MP or indeed a member of the Scottish Parliament or a member of the Welsh Assembly or even a councillor is in extremis and cannot vote for, you know, they will then have the ability to do it uh, online. And I hope that sticks for the rest of time, as long as there's democracy in our good country. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether I like the, uh, the, the, the phrase, or even a councillor, because I think we've got <laughs> But uh, just picking up the general point, I, I was very excited yesterday. I bought my first ticket to London uh, since the beginning of uh, March. And I chair something, and I laid down, I, I took a high-handed decision, that our meetings will always be hybrid in future mm -hmm. because we have people coming from Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Newcastle. There's only a dozen of us. And some people are spending something like five times as much time traveling mm -hmm. as they are at the meeting. So mm -hmm. my view is the chairman always needs to be there and anyone that can get there, but all the rest should be able to properly uh, contribute to this without spending an entire day of 300 quid coming down to London. And I just hope that will evolve. But Jamie, this also is your constituency. I, I think your constituency is almost as big as a trip to, to London, isn't it? Is, what's this telling you about being an MP in a very, very rural area? Is that going to be different? Yeah, I think so. Um, what I did during the, you know, the height of the pandemic was do everything obviously online. But uh, in August, uh, at long last, I then was able to get in my car and travel very long distances to the northwest of the UK, you know, Cape Roth. The top left and the top right-hand corners of the mainland of the UK are in my constituency. And what was interesting was the real enthusiasm that people had saying, oh, you're, it's you, it's the real you, we're so pleased to see you. Mm. And so maybe that told me that you can't do everything virtually or because human interaction is so important. Um, and, but yes, I think that, I mean, I, last week I had to change train, let me get this right, three times to get to Westminster, from the Highlands to Inverness, from Inverness to, um, Ed, uh, to Perth, to Perth to Edinburgh, and then Edinburgh to London. So I was a long time on the train. So yeah. the ability to zoom in would have been handy. Uh, and what I was, I was always at pains to point out to Jacob Rees-Mogg was that, you know, any it's not as if I would want to zoom in when I'm in Tesco's or playing golf. You know, I think you, you'd have to have rules about that. I, I yeah. completely appreciate that. But I like I like very much what you're saying about the council. That's absolutely right. It's uh, spot on. And I think in the Highland Council, I was a councillor until three years ago. Uh, we're moving towards that. And luckily, the technology seems to have got so much better these days than it, yeah. it is really. Yeah, yeah. And, so it's exciting times. So we can learn the good things from the pandemic, can't we? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, and it's what is facing about the pandemic is, I don't know how, what you think, but it seems to me to, in some cases, brought the worst out in people, which is sad, but also it's amazing how some people have really risen to the occasion and have um, done amazing things. And, and not just the care staff, I think of 
people, you know, um, various plumbers, if, if something goes wrong, that plumber's going to mask up and come in. And they did it even at the height, you know, in, in, in early April at some perceived risk to themselves. And there was an element of courage there, which mm. uh, was actually pretty inspirational. And mm. it's not fair to name certain politicians, but we can all imagine some who did better than others mm. in how they dealt with it. And that's probably a facet of human nature. Some people are stronger than others, and those who got more scared shouldn't be condemned for it, because it's, it's totally understandable. Yeah. yeah. And for listeners and viewers that don't know, obviously, uh, Jamie is the MP for Caithness, Sutherland and Easter Ross, as it as we've been. It's <laughs> right in the, the, the northernmost uh, mainland constituency in the, in the UK. Um, but also, I mean, what uh, it came about, obviously, you've been the defence spokesman for some time, but now have digital culture media and sport as well so how did that conversation go with ed last week when he said actually i want to give you another brief how did that go well it, it was it was mid it was mid a, a train change last week and <laughs> i you know i'd got off at inverness station from the highlands from tain in the highlands where glen morange is made that's where mm. i live and i, I live saying, near penny lane if we're talking big names jamie <laughs> <laughs> john I hasn't mean, got anything to offer to this conversation not yeah. really no <laughs> but I, st I stepped out into station square there's this is a, a big statue of a highland soldier in his kilt it's all about those who were killed in the saddam towards the end of the you know the time of kitchener and suddenly there's the moment it's ed and i thought oh right you know what's good um uh my son had sent me a text saying, Dad, um, reshuffle probably. Will you be in charge of stationery? Well, they take the mickey out of me, quite right too. And, um, and then he said, yeah, I'd like to do defence. I said, well, Ed, whatever suits, I'll just, you know, I'm extremely lucky to be an MP at all. Because three years ago, I genuinely didn't expect to be elected. I'll return to that in a second. And he said, I'd like you to do DCM, Digital Culture Media and Sport. At which point I sort of, and my jaw sagged, and I think people in Station Square and Vanessa must have thought, what's wrong with that guy? He's looking a bit, you know. And I said, goodness me, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, well, yes, okay, you know, sure, I think, gracious. So, and I regard it actually as a, as a great challenge. Defence is fascinating, and I think with defence you need a bit of continuity in some ways, because, you know, only that way do you learn how things work. But it's, it's fun to have this new one. Um, and it is relevant to me as a, as a constituency MP because just think of digital, broadband is very dodgy in parts of my constituency. And that's a huge issue locally. Um, and just what I was going to say was about being elected three years ago, the, the, it was generally thought because, uh, you know, the SNP, especially after party, a big majority, I wouldn't make it. I think we all thought that, including my agent, me, everyone. So when I won, I was completely flabbergasted. What was fascinating is the story of HQ in London, the HQ. And the top of the map at four in the morning, suddenly a great chunk of Britain went orange. <laughs> and they all cheered and said, yeah, amazing. And they all said, they said, who the hell is Jamie Stone? We never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> what have we let ourselves in for? <laughs> I know. Ah, well, I think Alistair Carmichael, the chief whip, knew my reputation from the yeah. Scottish part as a sort of jokey member. So there's a, a nervousness I'd roar around setting up all the fire extinguishers. Yeah. <laughs> there is a, a similar story about one of your predecessors uh, who was a lord who became an MP and uh, he, he was an independent councillor, I think it was the Highlands Council at the time, he joined and he was chair of it and he joined the Liberal Party, I think we were still then, 
and the headlines went up, Liberals take control of Ireland's council with the other person on it. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely correct. That yeah. was John Farker Monroe. That's right, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, it was yeah. John Farker, who was um, a much-loved person, a Gaelic speaker, um, good friend of Charles Kennedy's, um, quite a man. I remember once, can I have our time for an anecdote? Yeah. <laughs> Anytime, that's, that'll be live for anecdotes. <laughs> okay, I, I used to be a member of the Scottish Parliament for 12 years. I stood down, and by the way, after that in 2015, our party was trashed mm. in the general, and I was really thought, oh my God, you know. So that, that was kind of why I thought I would stand for the council again, because I didn't want to see my old ward and I thought I had to do my bit for the party, and that's how I went full circle. Anyway, that's by the by. Myself and John Farkenrew are having a meeting in the summer with the police force, the chief constable in Inverness and all the rest of it. And, you know, the little chit-chat and a cup of coffee and a biscuit before we get down to business. And um, the chief constable said to John Farkenrew, um, you know, how's your summer been? And John Farkenrew said, oh, he said, you know, I was in the Highlands, and I thought I saw a river was looking awfully nice, and a wee rod hidden in the back of the car. And they took it out, the cast to fly. He was poaching. He was telling us about his poaching in front of the chief constable. And the police looked embarrassed and looked for their shoes and said, um, yes, well, get, let's get down to business now, shall we? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was going to be arrested on the spot. Yeah. Oh, well, I still think you have a well-developed system of lairds up there, don't you? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. They're like Africa, where there are kings all over the place. Yes. He was, well, he was dearly loved, you know, John Farquhar. Mm. He was, he was a, and he was such fun. He was absolutely hilarious. People like characters in politics, don't they? Perhaps that's yes. why Johnson got in. I don't know that many people respect him, but they do like a character. Yeah, they do. Yes, yes. A bit different. Yeah. And can, we, can we just uh, go back to some of your, uh, your briefs, if that's okay, uh, Jamie? Uh, and let's, I mean, the defence one is interesting, because, I mean, the defence secretary is a press and MP, Ben Wallace. Um, so what, where do you see, with the government being quite isolationist, at the moment, certainly, you know, we've had lots of stuff, even in the last few days, about uh, international agreements not really caring about. How does the global position of Britain look at the moment in terms of our defence strategy? Well, it's extremely worrying. I mean, the fact, actual fact is we rely on our partnerships in, in, in various ways in various parts of the world. I mean, take Novichok. You know, we mm. were, I think it was the, the Dutch uh, intelligence service that actually, you know, made the connection with Russia and gave us the information we needed. And, I mean, it is a sad thing, but, you know, there are elements out there who do not wish the UK well and will do us harm if they can. And international cooperation is absolutely crucial. And it, this has been like this for a very long time in history. If you think about how Napoleon was beaten, it was because the UK got together a coalition of forces to which eventually, you know, stopped him, the tyrant, if you like. And um, you look at the Second World War and how we work with other countries and so on. And what I find very, very worrying is, is as we all know, as good liberals, is the, the little Englandism, which is so utterly dangerous and irresponsible. And also, uh, one thing I've been working on ever since the beginning is there's a group of, of MPs from all parties who are very keen that the next generation uh, aircraft is uh, built by a consortium, but a consortium that involves the UK, because in buying the F-35 F from the Americans, they're great planes and so on, but we will never have all the intellectual knowledge as to how that aeroplane works. They won't tell us everything because it's not, the, it's not, you know, it's not probably a good idea business-wise to do that. And there is the story, which I think is not apocryphal, about at the beginning of the Falklands War that we couldn't get the Sidewinder missiles to work properly. 
and that the Americans said, ah, there's one thing you didn't know, but we'll tell you now, and you have to pay for it. And then they work properly. So, but the point about building this aircraft is we will depend on with, along with Britain, working with other countries. One thing is Germany, you think of France, we were thinking outside the box, thinking maybe Japan, maybe South Korea, something like that. And again, it's about the relationship with those countries. And, you know, I read with horror today in the Times that Boris's games, luckily, it does seem that some conservatives are saying, hang on, you know, this is going too far. But the guy seems, and I'm, you know, I'm not mince my words, completely utterly bonkers to, you know, think a no deal is going to be any good at all and to annoy negotiating partners as much as he had because that will have a knock-on effect in, in our relationship in the future. Sorry, it's a long answer, but I feel very no, strongly no. Fascinating, fascinating. Let's take it to another stage then. Uh, there's a lot of discussion on Twitter, which isn't always particularly representative of anyone's opinion, about Ed's stand on the, the Europe issue, the EU rejoining, etc. issue. Uh, is Ed taking the right stand? And are we 100% clear, because I'm not, what that stand actually is? Well, my understanding is that Ed is um, an unreconstructed pro-European, and so am I. I um, mean, you know, uh, I'm partly Swiss-French in, my, in my, the blood in my veins. I'm partly Irish from County Tipperary, etc. Um, and I think what he's saying is, if I understand him rightly, is we keep the candle burning. And when we get through this folly and realise just how big the folly is, that we keep the door ajar to say, actually, we're going to eat humble pie. We've got this wrong. We want to, we want to rejoin, and and you know that's something I will continue to argue for as long as there's breath in my body, because um, it is the longest period of peace we've had in Europe. The EC's got a great deal to do with that, and the bottom line is this: is that my grandfather, his two brothers Walter and Arthur were killed on the Western Front. Same with German families; they lost loved ones. Same with anyone who dies in war. So, I think the EC is great. It's great, fantastic gift to the world is peace and prosperity and and you know men and women of all countries and colors of skin getting on and working together yeah absolutely absolutely well very well said can, can i bring you now onto your new portfolio uh which is and I, i'm interested in terms of my, obviously there's been a great deal of interest in the uh, eat out to help out schemes now in terms of culture i mean i'm uh, for to tell you where i am i'm on a, a local board for my local rugby club that's my, my passion. I love my local rugby club. That's culture. Sorry, beg your pardon. Is that culture? <laughs> yeah, it can, well, it, it's, it's definitely sport. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. What Do we need something to help revitalise the culture and sport at a grassroots and community level? Because the big ticket items, so Premier League football, Premier Rugby, you know, the Ashes, we, they can survive with TV money. But do we need something to help these clubs that do wonderful work in the community, help getting whether it's antisocial behaviour issues, whether it's you know, mental health issues, just people being able to get involved and enjoying sport? What, what, that must be the, the big ticket on your or portfolio now, how we get that sport back. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, one of the little sadnesses, you mentioned the fact that I've been a panto dame. And that's because in my hometown of Tain, where the Glen Morange is made, another plug, you know, um, <laughs> I'm quite mercenary. Um, <laughs> the thing is that I was, I, I was talking to uh, one of the cast who I used to act with for a number of years. And of course, there's no panto this year. Uh, they would have started rehearsing by now, for, running up to Christmas. And you think when you've got uh, 
60 something children on stage in the chorus you've got all the people all the wider community and you know there's everybody on stage in Michael Panto from the local lawyer uh, sister uh, to um, people who work for the council to people um, single mums all sorts of people and what whole what was just what hole that is in people's lives you know um, for the dark months of all those rehearsals which everyone loves that's gone so to answer your question, I think that what we need to do is start to demonstrate, and that's probably my job from the, from the grassroots up, just how important sport and culture are, what a difference it makes to our lives, how it can give kids you know, confidence the way they might never get any other way. And I think as you build it up, you start to, I'm gonna to tend to talk about this a lot in the chamber. And then you start to make the case that there has to be some sort of recognition of how the health of the nation is actually improved through all this, how the happiness, the well-being of the nation, and you mentioned mental health, absolutely. And I think you then have to make the case to the Treasury to say that in the scheme of things, it's not, you know, it's only going to be two or three F-35s, the cost of them, but you, if you were to direct the funds in the right way and through the, at the right level of the community, you really could do things. And actually, you know, there is an argument, um, uh, we've just talked about music and how music can survives. Um, I was involved in a debate some years ago when I was a councillor about free, in free instrument uh, tuition. Mm -hmm. And there was quite a clever argument said that, that young people who are learning a musical instrument, it actually helped their other academic performance, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I thought, absolutely fascinating. So I think there is something to be said that people will achieve, if they're happy, that the happier in the minds, they will actually do better. Uh, if you're stressed, you, it's not so easy to do the crossword, is it? If you're stressed, you don't perform as well. So that is really where I think the health of the nation, but that can lead to the prosperity and can be actually good for the economy uh, in the long run. Yeah, I, I think if you were to pop along the corridor to the old folks end, i.e. the House of Lords, and see Mike's story, when he was leader of Liverpool Council, we became European capital of culture. That mm. kick-started a huge change in our economy, mm. without which we'd be in serious trouble now. So I think people tell me, oh, culture or sport, it's either football hooligans or fat ladies singing. In fact, culture and sport is all about our communities. And the other side I'm particularly interested in, so you'll be getting some stuff from me, I regret to tell you, is, is about uh, things like sport, things like music, and mental health. We're going to have huge mental health problems and we can either find psychiatrists for them, we haven't got enough, give them pills and they're very expensive, or we can involve them in things like music and sport, which are very relatively cheap to do and will stop what I'm sure is a mental health tsunami, which is going to hit us otherwise. So you're, you and Munira, and people like me at the LGO and my colleagues ought to be working together yeah. presenting culture and sport in a very different way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, remember this, you've got a blank sheet of paper with me. Uh, you know, the whole phone call from Ed was a surprise, but the blank sheet of paper means that I'm really, really happy for people like you and everyone out there to say, Jamie, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Absolutely, because it, that in itself is creative. And can I, now, second anecdote, when I was a student, oh, oh. <laughs> I, was having, I was having a pint of beer with a mate of mine in St Andrews and we walked down North Street and everyone and there was a sign against a little hall said auditions now for um, uh, Samuel Beckett's Endgame 
And we'd had a couple of drinks. And he said, oh, gosh, that lot, you know, they call the mermaids, it's the drama society. They paint their fingernails, they're a bit weird, you know, and so on. So and because we'd had a few drinks, we went in an audition for a laugh. You know, two, two, two drunk, you know, yobbos like us. And blow me down, I got a part. You know, I'd never done anything like that at school. I wouldn't have yeah. gone near but So I then, and then when I did it, I was totally bitten. And mm. it, it kind of enriched my student days by accident. And so, yeah, sorry, I mustn't, I always digress. Bring me back to the point. If, if you ever performing, I mean, I yeah. go down to the town hall and then I perform a role as the group leader and leader of the opposition. Mm-hmm. You must do that in the chamber. You do that in public meetings. And actually, that's the other thing, is how good the arts are at preparing people for the real world. Yes, you're, you're so right. I did the same when I was a councillor. Yep, and it teaches you how to pause. To And what I find very interesting watching Boris, uh, I think, increasingly floundering uh, question at PMQs um, is how he doesn't have a feel for it mm-hmm. at all. And I find that and the more I know of Boris, the more I've seen him over the last few years, I've decided that the press persona, the jovial chap, slappy on the back and all the rest of it, is actually completely and utterly different to the truth. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's quite, it's a real surprise, actually. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm amazed he's got this far without those uh, the ability to 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 take take you know go with a laugh or mm. to pause and come back with a repost, a good one. Instead, yeah. he looks angry and petulant, and it's odd, very odd. And and it kind of links in uh, what we were talking about the cultures. How important you know? I mean, I know your area is particularly. Um, in need of tourism for example and all things about culture and arts whatever's going to happen with brexit whether it's no deal whatever it i do sometimes get frustrated that there is a kind of snobbery like we've kind of kind of hinted at against culture and art and and sport when actually it's a massive economic boon for this country mm. as well and whereas we might have days debating fishing which is relatively small i know fishing obviously will still be key in in your patch as well but Compared to the culture uh, sector of our society, it, it's it's dwarfed by it. It's, it's I mean, it's huge. Mm. Yeah, and as I said, you know, go back to my pantomime. If you get it right, it can reach out into all sorts of homes who never think of doing it. And I think actually involving children is quite a clever way. As I say, mm. sixty kids, mostly from primary school, some from secondary school, on the stage reaches into homes and backgrounds right across the spectrum. And then they get bitten in turn, like I was with Samuel Beckett's Endgame. You know, there's a little bit of the thespian in us all if you can just get it out there. You know. Uh, let us let let's take you home now. Let's go. Let's we have to talk about Scottish issues. Okay. So I mean, you I mean, you have been virtually every level of government now, uh, Jamie. You you from <laughs> council back in the eighties, uh, right the way through now to Westminster. You have kind of experienced it all. Where do you see politics in Scotland at the moment? Well, okay. The first thing is that there is a perception in Scotland that Nicola Sturgeon has done a better job than Boris through the pandemic. But that's a perception. But if you look at the record, uh, it's not so. Um, The fact that the disease spread into the care homes, there was a particularly bad case in Skye, shows the faults. And I think it's because Nicola's presentation skills are better than Boris's. There is a lot of uh, 
you know, the, the ominous storm warnings that a second referendum could go the other way. I'm actually not sure about that. I'm not getting it on the ground. Um, okay, my own vote went up by a few hundred in, in December, but I nearly lost the seat uh, because the SNP jolly nearly got it back. I, I've got the fifth tightest seat in Britain. But that was partly due, I think, to a Labour collapse and the Tory vote went down. Um, but I don't quite understand what happened there. But I'm not getting it on the ground. And I think that the you, you actually say yes or no to independence and there's no currency, there's now no oil money, and um, I don't think it's going to work. But I'm, I could be wrong, and it's not what they're talking about in, 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 on the streets, to tell you the truth. So um, I think that, I, firstly, can I just say, I think Willie Rennie has done an absolutely fabulous job as leader, and I hope he carries on as leader. He's inspirational. He has uh, a sort of a Kennedy-esque ability to connect people. Now, the fact is that my seat uh, for the Hollywood, for the Scottish elections, is probably going to be our number one target seat. And we've we've already spoken to Molly Nolan. Which is, yeah, Molly, Molly Nolan. Yeah. yeah, Molly's very, very good indeed. Um, and, I mean, I think that to do what she did to get to Harvard, you know, off her own bat, without any, you know, leg up at all, is a major achievement. And she's, she's, she's very, very bright. She's good with it. So there is a chance we can win the seat uh, you know, and I think the, the stats show that we should take more seats on the list system as well. So I think that liberalism is uh, alive and is getting stronger in, in Scotland. And um, we've got a by-election coming up on the shores of Loch Ness. We have a potentially very, very good candidate, a young lady who's only 21, but I think she's going to run. And even if she doesn't make it this time in the by-election, because that's like a two-horse race, well, it's first past the post, effectively. Um, come the, the, the council elections in 18 months' time, she's every hope of getting in. Uh, in fact, I think she probably will. So uh, Labour are completely and utterly in the doldrums. The, their leader, Richard Leonard, I think it's only a matter of time before he goes. Mm. Uh, Douglas Ross is competent in leading the Conservatives. He has, however, since becoming leader, made a couple of gaffes. And to go to a football match on VJ Day mm. was not really very clever and it did annoy uh, soldiers and ex-services personnel and I heard it at home. So we shall see what happens but I would say our trump card is Willie who really is and because he's been doing the job for quite a long while he's actually made his mark and people recognize him in the street when he comes up to Tain, my hometown, where they make them orange, no, I won't say it anymore. Um, they know who he is. Oh it's you Mr. Lane. You know, it's you Willie. Um, what else would I say? I think we've got to be very careful that uh, Westminster is not made to seem any more remote. And just a, another thing, point about Boris, I was stunned at how badly he handled the camping in the Highlands bit. The story appeared in the mail. I was actually the public of Ireland, but there was the front page of the Daily Mail, which I bought in, in Donegal. And then the following day, he'd, he'd done a bunk. He'd gone, leaving his security people to take down the tent. That was so totally wrong. What he should have done was to have rung up BBC Inverness, Radio Highland, Murray Firth Radio, the Russia Journal, the Preston Journal, the Caithness Courier, and said, the Prime Minister is going to give a press conference at 10 o'clock at the gate of the field where he's, you know, he's in Little Holly Cottage. He could have gone up there and said, I'm here, I love the Highlands, it's great, I love Scotland, I think it's a great partnership in the UK, 
I don't mind the mid-season. I'm coming back next year. Now I can have a little bit of peace time. I'm actually lost a bit of rest time for my, with Carrie, my girlfriend, and my little, little, my little son. He didn't do that. How mm. stupid can you get? You know, and he could have had a good news story. And frankly, you know, the Russia Journal, which is where he was in Russian comedy, would have given their eye teeth for an interview with the Prime Minister. Mm. It would have been historic first. Silly boy, silly boy. So and again, that just, that's yeah. your what you said before. But was he in that tent? Because it didn't look very used. <laughs> God knows. I God thought you had local knowledge to tell us. I know. <laughs> I tweeted at the time that you know if it was the midges that was troubling him, he should try smearing porridge on the bits that are bitten. But um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I must remember my my daughter lives up uh, on an island called Scalpe, which is up there. Oh yes. And it's bloody awful in the summer. If, if it's a good day, they have to hope it's windy. Otherwise, yeah. the midges get them on. Yeah, yeah scalp is bad. Why didn't you come more often, Dad? <laughs> but what I'm saying is the London-centric view yeah. is quite dangerous. Um, not just for Scotland, but for, I think, the Red Wall seats. I think if, if, if they don't deliver, those seats will go back to Labour. And it's why, you know, if you go down the West Country, people say, oh, London, they don't really understand. And that's where, you know, we as a party, we can start to make inroads again. Um, and do you, think, do you think Labour's troubles in Scotland, because I, I, I went through all the elections in, uh, in Caithness, Sutherland and Easter Ross, and actually we had our, you know, when, uh, our best results, when actually the vote was almost split between SNP and Labour, that they, they almost knocked each other out. Mm. So, I mean, are we almost a little bit too gleeful about Labour's troubles in Scotland? Uh, or Because in the end, if, if Labour collapsed, then we've seen what nationalism has taken its place. Um, and, or is that me just being having getting the wrong take from it? No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think that I have a great respect for the Labour vote. Most people who worked on the railways in the Highlands are Labour voters, and their fathers and their grandfathers before them. And you can understand why, actually. Um, and I think that, that we need a strengthening of Labour in Scotland, and it'll do no bad thing at all. It'll also, it will help us, though, to it exactly for the reasons you say. And do you know something? Every time I see Keir Starmer uh, score one over Boris, I do rejoice. I think, well done, mm -hmm. Keir. You know, uh, <laughs> it's nice to see that happening because um, I, I, I'm not Labour. I'm a Liberal. Of course I am. But I think that my own view is that we ought to look to try and uh, work as uh, uh, with Labour where we can and uh, be part of a radical alternative to a Tory and a very right-wing Tory government. And uh, therefore, uh, my, my conversations with Labour members across the gangway, if you like, are cordial. And mm -hmm. I did the Armed Forces scheme last year, I did the Royal Air Force one, I'm doing the Navy one this year. And when you do that, you learn, you get to know some members very well indeed in other parties. So the member for Care Philly, Wayne David, is a friend. Luke Graham down, you know, uh, uh, Plymouth Way is a friend. So you get to know them. And it's, I, I wish them well. I think it would be a disaster if the Labour completely collapsed in Scotland because then I think we, we probably will end up with independence if we're not damn careful. And that would be tragic, really, because I'm a Liberal. I believe in international cooperation, not splitting up countries, not splitting up, you know, allies from each other and friendships and ruining them. One of the things that John and I often discuss, though, uh, going back to our own areas, is that it's very well, all very well, to have um, uh, a nice relationship with nice chaps in uh, in Parliament, 
although I wouldn't say that that would include any of the Labour MPs uh, for Liverpool at the moment. But we look at the Labour Party in Liverpool or Preston, and I've done quite a bit of work uh, with local government in Scotland, and the Labour Party are not people that I could ever contemplate working with at anything more than a crisis or superficial level in a place like Liverpool, because at the end of the day, you've got it right. They ain't liberals and they behave in a very illiberal way. Mm. So is there going to be something happening in Westminster which John and I are going to say, oh, well, the buggers are at it, we'll have to go with it and sort of suck it and see in Liverpool? Yeah, I think, well, let's see what happens, but I think it's a very good point. I mean, um, put it this way, Jeremy Corbyn and Diane Abbott have never passed the time of day with me because I'm a liberal and I'm therefore regarded as extremely dangerous and the enemy. Um, and you're, you're dead right. That tendency, and I only have to say Derek Hatton, you know, mm, to send yeah. a till down many's a spine up your way. Um, uh, I, think, I think we just have to suck it and see, see how it plays. Early days, uh, Eddie's now confirmed in the position. Uh, Keir is, he's got his problems still, but we'll see what happens. Um, I was talking to Dick Newby, walking, leader of the Lords, uh, coming in this morning, walking in. And he says, you know, Jamie, the best thing you can do is just keep the conversations up, relay the information to Ed and to me and the Lords and so on. And that's what I'll do. Suck it and see. Um, but, and yes, I mean, I, when I was a, when I was a member of the Scottish Fund, I had my second election in 2003 was a rough one and Labour were out to get me. And, um, you know, I remember even when I was an MP, you'd go on the telly and suddenly they'd turn their guns on, on the Lib Dem. So you have to watch yourself for sure. Uh, but you're dead right. They're not liberal or an awful. Some of them are. Yeah. But, but, you know, and in the old days, back in Asquith's time, would have been in our party, but not now. Very briefly talk about, I mean, your constituency is so huge. I mean, a lot of us had the joys of the Brecon and Radnorshire by-election last year. And, you know, and, and huge areas like Tim Farron's uh, South Lakes patch as well. How, what is it like being an MP for such a huge area? What kind of organisation uh, challenges does that present to you? Well, the driving is fast. I mean, I have to be in the car a massive amount of the time. And you have to, I have to really try and cover it because people, uh, they really, they re in normal circumstances, they expect to see their MP and they expect you to hold clinics and so on. Um, and what is interesting is that it's, it's different bits are very different. Caithness is sort of um, more like Orkney and Shetland. It's more Viking. Caithness mm -hmm. people are very blunt in a sort of Yorkshire way. And if you're canvassing, oh. them, you know, <laughs> in the Caithness dialect, they say, you can go till hell. You know, we talk about not giving you a vote. You're right. Okay. Whereas in Sutherland, in the North Coast, round about Tongue or Betty Hill, they're more reserved because I think it's, it comes from the Gallic culture. And on the doorstep, I've had ladies say to me, or men say, ah, yes, ah, well, thank you for calling. I'm sure you'll do very well which is code for I'm not voting for God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've seen people, you know, up from the South, no, no offence to you good people, but get it wrong and not read them. You have to read them, absolutely. Um, but it's a fantastically beautiful constituency. I didn't expect to be an MP. It's an incredible privilege to represent your hometown where I was born, born and brought up, went to school and so on. Um, and I, as you know, there's not a day I don't walk in across the 
the Lambeth Bridge and towards the palace and think, Jamie Stone, you are a lucky lad. But, you know, I think the zigzag nature of my career, the fact I was a councillor for Yonks, stood for Scotch Parliament, got in, did three terms, stood down, then became a councillor again. It is the most, it's the oddest graph you've ever seen. It's very eccentric. A little bit like the jobs I used to do in the past, like gutting fish or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but that does help. And I remember when I first stood for Scotch Farm, going knocking doors in Wick in Caithness, and several times people said, oh, I remember you from the yard when we built the Conoco platform. And thank God I did do a variety of odd jobs. You know, a lot of my contemporaries were going off and becoming barristers or chartered accountants or whatever. I, I was just working on a building site. And that, that, oddly enough, my father, who is a wise man, said, it'll do you no harm, lad. It'll knock the corners off you. And by God, he was right. Yeah, an opportunity there to say something that comes from the town you live in. Um, very unusual for you, Jamie. What is it? Is a famous proverb from your area? Oh well, it's it's a whiskey you may not have heard of. <laughs> Look, if, they, if they want to sponsor this pod, they can <laughs> they can start paying some money. <laughs> I, I, I was brought up in a little farm, tiny little dairy farm, very small one, beside the distillery. Okay. And my dad used to go and get the husks of the barley, the leftover mm. stuff, which is called draft. And he was always very good form when he came back with tractor and trailer. But that's because they give you half a mug of the white spirit straight out of the still. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I don't know how he ever got the stuff back. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I suppose the only other question we've had is uh, actually, will Jamie Stone be going to space is, is the answer. Because obviously, for those that don't know, the, the UK spaceport is Due to be in your constituency as well, um, is how is that? How was that decision came around? How do you, how do you even deal with right? Suddenly, there's going to be a space industry in my constituency. It, it is completely astonishing. I didn't know about this until I got into Westminster, and then uh, Joe Johnson was the uh, space minister, and he suddenly said to me in in a lobby, "You need to know about this." I'm sorry, what? What? And the reason it is, it's because it's up that far north, it's because it's on the position of the curvature of the Earth, which is the shortest route to where you want to put geostationary satellites. Um, it's also got a rail link at Thurso nearby. But it's very, very exciting. The locals are really for it big time because along the coast of it, we had Dunray, we have UK's first nuclear reactor, which is now being decommissioned. And there's a lot of jobs there who are looking over the shoulders thinking, when is my P45 coming? What am I going to do next? And Whatever you feel about nuclear power, whatever you feel about building oil rigs at NAEP down the south of my constituency, the point was these industries did halt the depopulation of the highlands because for many, 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 many years indeed, since the 18th century, you could say, the saddest export from the highlands was the people going you know, through the clearances or just leaving to go to the Americas, to Australia, Antipodes, whatever. And that halted it. And it meant that people stayed, they brought up their families, and um, that is why the spaceport is, is such a scene. Okay, it's only, you know, perhaps maybe 100 jobs, something like that, but something can grow from that. The problem we have is there's a Danish man uh, who uh, has been buying up all the estates around there, and he's now Britain's biggest landowner. He, uh, he, he's, uh, he's trying to stop the whole thing, and he's doing everything in his power to stop it. He's now going to... Uh, go for a judicial review on the planning consent that's just been given. He won't win that, but it's it's too bad that this bloke is doing this sort of stuff. And um, 
you know, he really annoys me. He furloughed all his staff on his many estates he owns. And uh, he didn't need to do that because people work outdoors, still got stuff to do. He then didn't pay them the 20% mm. on top, and he's a billionaire. Now, one of the tabloids, I think it was the Mirror, did him over for it, you know, by April. Good thing, too. It was, you know, cheap behavior. And just to get a bit passionate about this, you know, I think sooner or later, when I, I know I've got parliamentary privilege, I'm going to just talk a little bit about him because this guy can't get away with this stuff. It's, it's not on. It's not in the spirit. It's not in the spirit of which the Treasury extended the, the hand of further, if you like. You know, I think Rishi should be fed up, pretty fed up about that sort of behaviour. Sounds like the clearances all over again, in, in, in a way. A rich landowner using assets for their own use. Yeah, I mean, I had a clinic in, in a place called Melness, which is up on the, on the north coast, and only a few days ago, um, well, about, no, about three weeks ago, and uh, a woman came to see me and said, oh, uh, yes, you know, um, and she, she told me what her problem was. She also said, I said, where do you live? She said, well, we used to live at Hope. Now, Hope is um, further along. And I said, oh, you, you worked on the, on the Hope estate. Yes, yes, my husband and I both worked on the estate. And I said, are you still working there? And she, uh, and she looked awkward and said, um, uh, no, there's nobody working on the Hope estate. And I said, so did the Dane who owns it, did he make you redundant? And she looked really awkward and said, I'm very sorry, um, I can't talk anymore. We've signed a non-disclosure agreement. I thought, oh, for God's sake, you know. Mm. You get this check contingent on you say nothing. I mean, it's, it's lovely, the idea of wilding things, yeah? But not when, not when you get rid of all the locals. And he, he doesn't own the local crofters. It is like the clearances. And I'm sorry, I think it stinks. I, I'm, I'm really angry about it. And as long as I breathe... Uh, I think mockery is the best bit. I think I'll do a takeoff to Didini Man. At the height, when he got the bad publicity in the mirror, he said he was going to give a free hot meal to all the children on his estate. Wow. Well, I think that just highlights some of the, you know, we talk about, we've talked about huge issues, whether it's Brexit, international, but also the fantastic work our Lib Dem MPs do in their constituents. You know, most of this stuff will never hit headlines, will never be seen, but actually you are being the, the safety net and the barrier and the champion for your areas. So I just, I'm, I'm sure on behalf of everyone, just thank you very much for all your hard work, Jamie, as well. It, it, it's, it's a pleasure. It's an honour and a privilege to do what I do. Um, it's, it's something I never expected in my life, and I, I enjoy it hugely. But I'm, I'm keenly aware that I have responsibility to all my constituents, no matter what, to do my very best thing. Sadly, uh, too many people in politics at all levels don't think it is an honour and a privilege to be an elected representative, because that's what I say. They think it's their right or their stepping stone to do something else, and they see it as, as, as a, a minor career move. That's not what a Liberal does at any level, in my experience. Yeah, I think that's very, very true. And because we're Lib Dems, I think we have to pedal that much harder to keep to win our seat in the first place and to keep it the, sadly the apart from walking to Shepherd, there aren't really any yellow chip council wards or, or constituencies are there really we, we have to we have to work hard yeah and that and of course and if you want to help out uh, the campaign in uh, in uh, molly uh, molly nolan's campaigning please do go help the scottish lib dems they've got phone banks they've got everything so you by all means uh, help out because they do have a massive geographical uh, area to cover uh, and i'm sure any help money 
anything like that will be over will be very much appreciated by the Scottish Lib Dems in what could be an absolute defining election next year. Yeah. Um, so, and I suppose for most, for me and Richard, I just want to say thank you very much, Jamie, just uh, for coming on the podcast. You can follow Jamie and all his legions of Twitter fans at, at Jamie for North. Um, you can follow Richard at, uh, at Councillor Kemp and you can follow myself at, at Council, uh, at John Potter LD and you can follow everything to do with the Lib Dem podcast at, at Lib Dem Pod. But it's been a real, real pleasure to have you, Jamie. Thank you so much for taking the time. Do have a good rest of your day in Westminster. Um, and to all our viewers and listeners, thank you very much for tuning in, downloading and watching this episode. We'll be back with loads more stuff, including episodes about how you can campaign at the moment without canvassing we've got lots of interviews coming up looks like we're going to have manira wilson coming on the podcast very soon as well this is a fantastic that you all watch us and view us and stay tuned because we'll be back with another episode very soon